Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Uh, All right, well, welcome to Wood Talk number 167 for January 27th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about pre-finishing your projects, skill-building strategies, sharpening exclusively with diamond stones, a fence for a small bandsaw, dealing with an infestation you and uh, techniques for smoothing dovetail pins. But before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, today's show is sponsored by us, Mark, Matt, and Shannon, because we don't, have a, we don't have a real sponsor. Oh, can I, can I give you guys an IOU and I'll pay you back later? That sounds good, yeah. I just wanted to have a placeholder there. It just sounds bad just to skip it. Um, so I'm not sure you're good for it, Matt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, just take it out in t-shirts. It wants to pay you in Post-tated PayPal, checks. and PayPal takes their cut. It's a mess by the time you get it all done. But <laughs> you know, what? I'll, I'll pay you in Keystone mac and cheese the next time we go there. <laughs> there you go. Good idea. That's a deal. All right. Well, um, do we? What are we doing? Yeah. Let's just uh, mention first of all, live. We're doing this live, like we promised last week. Uh, mm-hmm. alphageekradio.com is where you can go or just go to the woodwhisperer.com slash live and you'll see a couple of links we have a desktop version a mobile version and our little chat room there if you want to participate and yell at each other and pretty much ignore the show but just have a good time with the guys in the chat room that's cool too it's good stuff uh yeah let's just go right into what's on the bench Last week, I mentioned the whole Bluetooth thing, and I knew I would get a lot of suggestions um, about what what we might want to use as a substitute that what I was doing was kind of stupid. (laughs) is essentially essentially what was told to me um no seriously most people were pretty cool about it and just had suggestions for things that they use now the the problem is um a lot of people suggested things that were wired and i was like i don't i just don't want the wires i know i could put it through my shirt but even then i still wind up getting it caught up on things and it's uncomfortable 
Um, I also don't want things with uh, two sets of batteries. So that was, you know, like FM, AM, FM transmitter, or what do you call it? This, the, just an FM transmitter would have worked too, but I didn't uh, necessarily want something with a second set of batteries. Now, the one thing, and I, I'm not going to use this, but I want to suggest it because it came in like five or six people told me about this. LG has a set of earbuds that basically have this little Bluetooth collar thing that sits around your neck. The earbuds go up into your ears and they use those. And then they put their regular um, hearing protection that you typically use in the shop and just put that right over top. That's a really cool idea, but I don't know, maybe it's just the protection that I use, but holy crap, that hurts my ear holes after a while. (laughs) Right. I totally see that. It like puts a lot of extra pressure on those earbuds and it is so uncomfortable. Like if you're milling for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes or putting a bunch of parts through the drum sander and you've just got to keep that ear protection on, Ugh, God, it's just uncomfortable to me. So really cool tech. If someone's interested in it, LG makes them. I could put a link to it uh, in the show notes. And it is about 60 bucks, pretty reasonably priced, if not a little bit less. I don't know if they have multiple models. But if you're interested in that sort of uh, wireless connectivity and uh, integration into your ear protection, that's definitely one way to go. Um, I can report back after using it all week long. The system that I came up with is awesome. I've got great range on it. If a call comes through, I could take the call. I hear my text messages coming in. And it's working fantastic. So I'm really happy with the the way that I went, but definitely that LG seems like a good option for people. Sweet. So I, need, the, I, I was, was going to say, I need something like that in our <laughs> shop because we, in my shop, because I no longer have a home phone. So if the phone rings, the kids aren't going to get it because it's in my pocket. <laughs> right. And so therefore, if I had something where I could actually maybe have regular hearing protection, I probably should turn the tool off so they can hear me. But at the same time, though, it would be really nice to have it. Well, that is that's a huge upgrade. Like you don't even think about that. Someone did mention the FM transmitter. Well, you're not going to get your phone calls through there. So having the Bluetooth connectivity means, yeah, I'm listening to stuff. There's a loud tool on, but I may not take the call, but at least I know that there is a call and I could glance at my phone, see who it is and make a decision about whether I want to pick it up. So I think safety wise in the shop, that's a really nice bonus to have. Exactly. So the question is, what tool do you use this? And what tools do you not use this? Um, that's an odd way to ask that question. First. <laughs> I'm, I'm, but... I'm pulling the safety police card at this point because <laughs> it, it sounds a little bit like texting and driving. Uh, well, here's the thing. I'm not really going to be answering these calls while I'm doing it. It's just um, <laughs> I'm listening to stuff, which is something I've been doing since since I started woodworking. Um, but I use it on any power tool that's like over regular, uh, noise levels, you know, so any power tool that makes noise basically. Um, but again, I'm not really actively taking calls while I'm doing my work. It's just awareness that the call came in. Okay. When I'm done with this board, I can glance down, take a look and see, is that Nicole calling to tell me that, you know, Mateo's freaking out because he can't find the fish goldfish, not, not the real fish. I was going to say, I'm like, dude, is he in the water? Is he not in the water? <laughs> that's the that's cruelty to animals. <laughs> yeah. So um, aside from that, very quickly, I put the finish on the sitting bench. And this is some of the most beautiful curly maple that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And uh, I, I had toyed with the idea of dyeing it and dealing with that whole th- thing. Because dye can really do some amazing things for, for curly material. But... It's a lot more work, and I just don't know if I wanted to change the color. I really love the look of that creamy sort of, um, uh, you know, curly maple that you get. Right. So, so I just went with boiled linseed oil. Well, basically, I went with the Danish oil, which has BLO in it. And, uh, you know, the, the oil, if you apply it and just kind of let it soak in and keep applying it, let it, as long as it's thirsty, excuse me, stifling the burp, 
as long Speaking as it's uh, thirsty. Yeah, no kidding. Um, as long as it's uh, thirsty, it'll keep pulling that oil in and it darkens that end grain of the, the sort of undulating grain on the surface. And holy smokes, it just looked, it almost looked artificial. It, it looked so good. So um, I'm going to keep applying a little bit of Danish oil and then probably the final coat or two switch over to an oil-based varnish and call that sucker done. Um, but I, I feel like mentioned it a few shows ago, the fact that this was a live edge board that I was kind of hesitant to cut up. I kind of feel like I did it justice. I don't feel so bad about it at this point. You know, that's one thing that's killing me is the uh, platform bed. The the headboard especially is just going to have the, the guys at Belfort sent me some absolutely amazing uh, tiger maple. In fact, when I was mm-hmm. looking at your bench, I was thinking, did he come into my shop and steal his stuff? Because that <laughs> looks a lot like the stuff I have. And what's what's really killing me is Aiden wants to go with like a really dark color. He's like, can we stain it? I'm like, I will know. You're not staining it. So we compromised on at least going with a dye because of the fact that we could maybe get it to pop out and everything and really give it a a beautiful look. But there's that part of me that's just like, I want to go that route. I want the natural color to just be shown on this and not have really anything on it other than maybe a light protective coat or something. Totally. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And you, you know what? So, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I've been trying to remember where I got this material from. And I think that may be where I got it from. I, I remember emailing them saying, hey, I'm looking for some really curly maple. Uh, what do you guys have? Just I don't at this point, I just need this particular material, whatever it costs. Let me know. Ship it out. And I, I'm almost positive that's where I got it. So it makes sense that uh, they would look pretty similar. They always oh, Shannon. have really, really nice curly maple. Must be something in the woods up there. Mm-hmm. Do you guys in the in the lumber industry when you, if you have troublesome clients and they ask for curly something, do you ever think about sending them warped boards and being like, "Dude, you asked for curly." <laughs> There's a curly. <laughs> it's curvy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, speaking of your bed, Matt, uh, you want to just jump to you since you're already talking about it. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, uh, things are coming along really good with the bed. In fact, I started to move onto the headboard, and here's something I never thought I would say, but I cut myself. With wood, not with the blade, with wood. I had apparently got the edge so sharp on this maple, which, again, this is one of those things when you start working with these weird exotics, somehow stuff like this happens. Uh, But the edge was so sharp, I kind of ran my hand along just to get a feel for the surface to make sure I wasn't missing something. And I came up and I had the nastiest, deepest looking paper cut I probably have ever had in my life. It's like a paper cut times a thousand. That sounds terrible. It is. And then on top of it, to me... Stupid me. I'm at work today and I keep using the uh, alcohol hand sanitizer because I work in a lab with a bunch of sick people. So I keep walking in and it's out. Oh, I'm not to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) You think you'd learn after the third time? Yeah, exactly. Within an hour, you would think (laughs) you would. Uh, But so that's that's one of the big things that's been happening with the bed. Thankfully, it's moving forward. But the other thing, I just have to say this today, as we're recording it, today happens to be the eighth anniversary of Matt's Basement Workshop. I am Whoa. so sorry, everybody. Well, wow. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Matt. Well, thank you. That's thank awesome. you for it's, it's funny because for years I've been telling people it was the 26th of January, and it turns out when I actually go back and look at the archives, it's the 27th. So that, apparently shouldn't I there be patience. like an entire week worth, worth of celebration anyway? I mean, <laughs> let's be real. Well, I it's keep trying basement workshop. I keep putting it out to my family, and they're just like, "So, so, so eight, I, I'm kind of used to the non-revelry." Eight years in podcasting language is like a 50 year anniversary in anything else. So, <laughs> exactly. I mean, congratulations! It takes a lot of uh, just energy and stick to itiveness to to do this for eight years. That's 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 awesome. 
Well, the funny thing is I, I was going through and I was uploading a bunch of old videos, especially from 2006, 2007 onto YouTube because I want to get the videos onto my website. They're all kind of hidden. So in case anybody's looking for them, you're not going to find them right now. I'm not sure if I'm going to release them necessarily into the stream. But the last one I uploaded and total coincidence, I didn't even pay attention to it, was the first episode that a Mr. Shannon Rogers made his appearance. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's uh-huh. where it all started. <laughs> so I might release that, that one. A bunch of other useless trivia. <laughs> hey, so. speaking of useless tri- uh, trivial kind of stuff, what do you got, Shannon? <laughs> oh boy! But I'm bummed. I have I have spent very little time woodworking this week. It's been a I spent a lot of time selling wood and marketing the selling of wood. It's just been an incredibly busy week at the uh, lumberyard. I was actually telling these guys before recording we had a bit of a cyber attack that I had to deal with. So hmm. I have been heads down trying to figure out what the heck internet security is and how to how to do it it's bs is what it is yeah <laughs> there's, but, there's um, a shortcut answer. last what was it last last week or last show or whatever i mentioned i was gonna play around with some spoon carving a little bit so i ordered a sloyd knife one of those just straight bladed craft knives and it came in it was just a cheap thing from a traditional woodworker and i had you know 30 minutes free the other night i went into the shop and was just playing around with it and before i noticed knew what was going on i was sitting on my saw bench and whittling <laughs> i was just like I need to to like yell at some kids or, you know, get a rocking chair or something <laughs> at this point because I'm whittling and dang if it wasn't fun. <laughs> I, I, I starting to understand that. And it just, so I'm sitting there, you know, whittling away on this little piece of cherry. And I started thinking about the, the next couple of projects that I'm going to build. And I started kind of designing them in my head. And then I put down the knife and then a couple days later i went into sketchup and i started putting these ideas kind of into proportion and sketchup and it just suddenly occurred to me that sketchup is the virtual version of whittling yeah it's it's (laughs) kind of the you know you can you can kind of play around some ideas and that's essentially you know i'm not going to speak for the old guys in the rocking chair whittling maybe they're you know working through world peace or something like that but it's, uh, you know, if I take the dog out for a walk or something like that, that's when I plan out my designs. It's when I plan out podcasts and stuff like that, kind of that dedicated time to think things through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, uh, there, there's merit to this whittling thing. And then you can take your whittling and go virtual whittling. So, so that are, was, are you going to start calling your wife mother now? Because <laughs> that is the next logical step in this. Oh, if that happens, then <laughs> yes, I'm done. Uh, you know, the, awesome. the funny thing is, I have this image of you in the garage doing the whittling. And the thing is, do you have to say whittling or whittling? I think so. I think it has to be. Yeah, there's no know, G on that. Yeah. Okay. Whittling. So, whittling. No, I think you get thrown out or beat up for saying <laughs> we'll whittling. Get out of it's the so funny because most, most of my family think that all woodworking is just whittling. And right. so they're always like, why do you have to have that big machine? Don't you just need a knife? Uh, <laughs> get out of here. And to my family, it's all farting around. So <laughs> there nice. you go. Farting like, around and whittling. Got a lot of gas involved. Uh, all right, let's move into what's new. Got a couple cool links to share with you. I'll go first here. We have a amazing end grain planing. Did you guys see this with the Japanese woodworker sitting on the floor? So cool. Sitting on the floor like Japanese woodworkers do. Lazy. I refuse to watch this one because everybody <laughs> was so crazy over it. I'm going anti whatever anybody else okay, wants. Okay, well, it's so good. Like, you know how when you put uh, little pieces and strips together, you can kind of create 
uh, like a herringbone pattern and you would just normally saw them up either on the bandsaw or uh, I guess you could use the table saw, but you create these patterns and then you slice them up and you have these great little inlay strips. Well, imagine that over a big wide surface and it's a beautiful design and it's all end grain. And then the dude just starts planing the top and essentially creating very for plane for planing action on end grain. It's pretty thick. But he's essentially drawing it across and creating his own thin veneers. And he's just doing one layer at a time, one layer at a time. And then you see a finished product with this amazing pattern on it. And it's just one of the coolest, most um, relaxing sort of things where I just know that if I even attempted anything like this, there would be no relaxation involved. (laughs) It would be like (laughs) the most frustrating experience of my life, I'm sure. But um, seeing a a well-trained, well-honed blade being like wielded by someone who just has, you know, more experience than, than my age is an amazing thing to watch. So uh, we'll have that video there for you to see. I'm watching it right now as you were talking, and holy cats, you're right. This Definitely is just... one of the coolest videos I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, we were watching a while ago, remember, we, we saw that um, giant hand-planing uh, contest where the plane was like 12 inches wide, and they're right. just like bringing these big giant sheets. I mean, uh, it's that type of wow factor that's in this video, just on a bit of a smaller scale. Nice, huh? <laughs> That's crazy. All right, watch it later, Matt. We're doing a show. <laughs> I think he's I making think toilet paper for us to have the actual in-the-moment reaction from one of the hosts. <laughs> right. It adds to the realism. The joy of not being prepared is great. <laughs> it looks like decorative toilet paper, to be honest with you. That was my first impression. <laughs> Very expensive toilet paper, but, exactly. uh, you know. It's beautiful. <laughs> All right. Is this your – who put this next one from Eric? Uh – Oh, I guess I did. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I thought you you put all these. Anyways, oh, we have a link now from Eric, and Eric sent this. Attaboy. It's a cool 10 minute video showing axe making back in 1963 at the Emerson Stevens shop. So this is definitely one of those videos that if you're really into uh, the the whole how are tools manufactured or how in this situation how were they manufactured, mm. uh, my understanding is. Coincidentally, this uh, gentleman happened to be working on a project, apparently a, a film project or something, and thought this was just a really neat process, caught it, and you're watching these two blacksmiths work, which cracked me up is like they're both smoking. In fact, the guy, one of the guys lights up a pipe using the hot iron coming right out of the forge. Uh, and then they go ahead and they, they create these axes. Really, really, really neat and interesting. But I, I thought there was something in there about the shop closed about a week after the guy did the film. So, hmm. You don't want that guy filming anything in your shop, apparently. Bad luck, dude. Jeez. All right. That, that website, folkstreams.net, very cool site, by the way. There's lots of just cool old-timey videos on there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's kind of like the um, the old-time version of that show, How It's Made, where they oh, just go into yeah. lots of factories and they right. show how things are made. It's very cool. Was it, wasn't that the one that had the video? Do you remember it was a long time ago? Not that long ago, probably last year, but it felt like a long time. There was the guy that was like, you know, um, like 50 cents for that handle. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, that was the same site. <laughs> that'll be a buck 50. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, got another one here. This one's a little out of season because it involves like a little Christmas tree thingy, but my uncle sent this to me. And we, I guess, I don't know, we were in like a craft store or something uh, around Christmas time. And Nicole and I saw this little tree where it was clearly from one stick of wood uh, that had been hit with a chisel to create curls on it. And the curls were uh, getting larger and larger as they go down toward the base to give it this conical Christmas tree shape. Well, you look at it and you go, well, that's, you know, it's in a craft store and it's like 30 bucks. And I'm thinking 
that there's just a lot of effort that went into this. I don't know if there's a easy automated way that it's done or if this is all done by hand, but I was really impressed with it. And then I get this link on uh, YouTube of a, a video showing someone making exactly that. And it is just as much work as I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> and speaking of sharp tools, it's exactly that type of thing where basically you just turn this, uh, this little um, cylinder, but it's, you got to have it tapered a little bit so it gets thinner toward the top. And slowly but surely, he just uh, turns it, takes a little peeling stroke, turns it, takes another stroke, and, and he's building this tree all the way around it. And each of the pieces gets folded out. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, as you're watching this, all it takes is one to break off. I mean, and, and he doesn't. Like, they're all perfect. Um, so incredible, awesome, sort of woodworking type thing. And sad that you can buy it for 30 bucks. <laughs> oh, exactly. Again, watching this as you're talking. First thing I thought he was making, I thought he was making a uh, vampire steak, like he's going to make an yeah, anti. That's what it looked like initially. Yeah. But yeah, very cool. And clearly, you need the right kind of wood and, and super sharp tools to accomplish something like that. But a uh, lot, lot of fun watching that one. Just looks like whittling. Uh, sort of. It's fancy. Whittling. See, I just did it. I put the G on the end. It's whitt- whittling. Whittling. Fancy. Whitt- whittling is the rich man's version of whittling. <laughs> That's right. That looks like whittling. <laughs> right. Whittling is what that's like the Grand Prix version of NASCAR. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our poll of the week from our buddy Tom Iovino at Tom'sWorkbench.com. He asked the question, what do you do with your warranty cards? Because, you know, your tools, brand new tools, always seem to come with a warranty card that you could either fill out or go online and uh, register the product. And he wants to know, do you uh, do you actually return those warranty cards? <laughs> and there's one more for no. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, since like newspapers stopped coming and people stopped subscribing to newspapers, I don't have paper to get the fire started in the fireplace anymore. <laughs> there you so go. that's what that's what I do with my warranty cards. They burn quick and burn long. That's nice. Yeah, I usually use them as note cards for when the phone call comes in while I'm in the shop. I can write it down real quick and then discard it completely. <laughs> All right. Well, 42% said sometimes. Uh, 26% said, of course I do, every time. 20% said, are you kidding? No way. <laughs> 8% say, what's a warranty card? <laughs> exactly. And uh, two, 2% say that I don't buy tools that come with them. <laughs> That's kind of scary. Shannon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Shannon, That's me. Shannon was one know. of the five. That, that In fact, I, I dare you to walk into like Liberty Tools or the Woodwright's tool <laughs> shop upstairs and say, where's the warranty card? Where's my warranty card? I want to register my plane. Do I get a warranty? Yep. It lasts right until you pay me cash. Well, here's the interesting thing. you If you buy a tool for one of these uh, you know, higher-end makers, you kind of have an unspoken warranty. Like they, I'm sure they have a warranty policy, but um, I've heard stories of them uh, taking people's planes, especially when people take like a brand new Lee Nielsen plane and, and turn the sole into a banana shape. They will actually help you with that. Uh, wow. that, for the record, that was Veritas that oh, did was that. It? Oh, okay. But uh, my, my, Lee my... Nielsen was happy to point it out that <laughs> thankfully it wasn't theirs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's right. I stand corrected. Um, but yeah, I don't know that they're going to do that for everybody. But they they really do stand behind their tools. They know that uh, their tool is best in their hands when it comes to getting something fixed, and and you'll have the best experience with it. So it is kind of nice to know that they'll uh, they'll usually help you out. Have, yeah, yeah, but you didn't have to send in a warranty card to get that, did you, Matt? Uh, no, I didn't. Not in my so, situation. You know, again, what's the point? <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, so no kickback today, surprisingly. Or maybe you did and we just ignored it. I don't know. Uh, maybe. It's possible. Actually, no. We no, didn't have. We didn't have any, right? 
Is, is or actually, week. there were a few that were like really old. Like this is from episode one. I think Matt laughs way too much. <laughs> too many chortles. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something. If you want to give us kickback, try to keep it within like the last five shows if you can. I know a lot of people go back and listen to the archive, which is great. We totally appreciate it. Um, but we like to keep the the show topical as we move forward. So anything more than a few episodes back is going to be difficult for us to talk about. Unless, of course, it's a kickback on some sort of power tool mistake that I made like three years ago, (laughs) in which case I would find that rather humorous. A nice walk down memory lane. Or even funnier, a hand tool mistake that Shannon made on the show. Right. Oh, I love those ones. That would make me laugh. Um, Okay, let's go to voicemail. We got one here from Adam who uh, has a question about his block plane options. Hey, guys. This is Adam calling from Ottawa, Canada. I just have a quick question about the Veritas skew block plane. I'm looking to buy my first block plane. And I really like the Veritas low-angle block plane. Good job on the videos, Matt. But I was reading my hybrid woodworking book yesterday, and I really like the Lee Nielsen rabbit block plane they have. The only issue is here, I have a gift card for Lee Valley, so I'm looking to get the benefits of the rabbit, but in a block plane. So I saw the skew block plane. Is uh, that a comparable option? Is it worth the extra 60 bucks? Is the fence system that beneficial? And I can't afford both left and right, so I was wondering if I could get the boat or get the... Best of both worlds with just one of them. Um, uh, love the show. Start my own woodworking class this week at the, the local college here in Ottawa, and I'm super excited about the craft. Thanks very much for all you guys have done. Have a nice day. Now, listening to that noise in the background reminds me of uh, Bill Murray in Scrooge, and I'm just waiting for him to, like, turn his head from the phone. Would you please stop the goddamn hammering? Right? <laughs> that was great. Um, so, oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, Adam, what I'm thinking is since you're getting ready to start that class, why don't you just wait and ask your instructor rather than bothering us? Whoa. No, I'm just kidding, Adam. <laughs> totally kidding about that Whoa. one. Oh, by the way, yeah, you're welcome for that video that you mentioned. You are you are more than welcome. What video is so, he talking about? You did one on that? Uh, I, I, there was, there's been a few that I've done about the block plane because I forget what topics I cover, so I just recover them. <laughs> I've and, done it like three times. It's the yeah, same, same so, thing, but... There, there's definitely there's one out one or two of them out there for sure because I do love me some block plane. Cool, and, you know. And so with that said, let me, let me jump on this one about the the skew block plane from uh, Lee Valley versus the uh, Veritas rabbiting uh, block plane. The one thing that I, I really love about this Veritas one, and I don't own one, although I have thought about like, hmm, how do I convince the family that they should let me have this? I think it's a a really really nice plane. It's kind of like the best of both worlds as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the nice thing about having anytime you have a skewed blade, it, it does really help quite a bit, especially with end grain, uh, really with any type of, uh, well, not even so much the hardwoods. It just a, a skew block, a skew plane really, really helps out quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't mind going that route, and since you have the Lee Valley gift card, I say totally head for something like this. The fence is definitely not something that is a make or break as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it is a nice to have, that's for sure. And when it comes to left or right, because they do come in both sizes, as you mentioned, you can't, can't afford to have both of them, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it really comes down to is which one, which one do you think you would use the most? I happen to have both the left and right, or I did have, I should say, the left and right skew rabbit plane. And I think I used the right one for myself. I'm left-handed. It just happened to be the one I used most frequently. So the other one pretty literally was covered in dust all the time because I never, ever used it. It's nice to have both, but I 
99% of the time, I barely ever used the alternate one. I wonder if their so. sales like skew, no pun intended, if their sales <laughs> yeah. skew one way or the other on that too. Like, do people more often buy one over the other? I, that's a good question. I mean, well, the funny thing is, totally going to go tangent for what you just said. I, I was just looking at the details on this, and it's funny how they mentioned here, left and right-handed models aren't necessarily meant for left or right-handed people. It's just whatever direction right. you like to work. Yeah. So perhaps... But this is a good way to find out from the audience. Well, do you ever run into issues like unfixable or like issues that you just can't get around because of a a grain direction issue with with a skew plane like this? I I never have because even with the the rabbiting skew planes, typically that rabbit was going to be hidden. So if it tore out a little bit, it was never anything other than cosmetic. So I never had an issue with it. Right. You have to think about how you're actually going to use it. This is not a face planing tool. Right. Um, you know, you're you're cutting well, you're cutting in grain, so there there is no grain direction there. Um, or you're you're cover you're cutting something that's gonna go inside a joint. So if it tears a little, eh, no big deal. Yeah, sometimes exactly. I mean, because sometimes if you're doing a rabbit and you're butting something up against the outside, uh you can kind of see that outside mating edge. If it tears out a lot, that's gonna be visible from the, the closed up <laughs> joint. But um, Yeah. But to be contrarian, um, I would never use this to cut a rabbit in the first place. Um, it, it's just it's yeah. inefficient. Right. Um, it, the same thing with the, the Lee Nielsen one. I couldn't see myself actually cutting a rabbit well, with that. And it either. does yeah. sound like he's really trying to t- like use this as a multifunctional block plane, not sure, necessarily right. cutting it for that type of joint, just the sweetening of joints that we typically do with a block plane anyway. Sure. So, okay. Um, you know, when it comes to this, it's funny because I just did this whole like buyer's guide session for the hand tool school and this plane came up. Um, and it, it kind of crystallized the fact that Veritas does not have a rabbiting block plane. Right. And, you know, you just kind of assume after a while that if Lee Nielsen has one, Veritas has a version of it. <laughs> yeah. And it was really kind of this, wow, really? Yeah. They don't have one? Because I, I don't think they're, I mean, they're very close. First of all, I think the fence on these is is next to useless. I know some people will use them, but it's just, I'm not really a fenced plane person to begin with. So it could be a personal thing for me but the if i were to choose one over the one of those two i would definitely go with the lee nielsen i think it's a it's a better tool i I actually don't like the skewed aspect of it because i don't really use a plane like this in an area where i need to have that skewed uh angle all that much and if it's on in grain i skew the whole plane but then you know he's got a his situation i would completely agree with matt and say go with the veritas because you've got the gift card to, to Veritas and there's really not that much of a difference but it was just kind of this eye-opening moment like why don't they have a rabbiting block plane well and it seems like it's just a small little jump from what this is you know because they've got the the knicker on one side uh, which yeah. if he does get this and he wants to take advantage of that getting right up against a tenon shoulder or something like that doing the cheek of a tenon um, he's not going to have the advantage of a, of a knicker on both sides he's only got the one because the, the fence hole and unless I may be wrong here, but I'm guessing that the uh, knicker cannot be moved to the other side. No, it doesn't look like it can. Because right. it looks if like you look at the bottom of it, so. the, uh, yeah. the the way that the mouth is set up, it looks like it's only on the on the one side. Yeah, so he is sort of locked into his usage there. So um, here's the thing: this is not the last tool you're going to want to buy from Lee Valley. 
<laughs> right. So yeah, exactly. if you've got a gift certificate burning a hole in your pocket, there might be something else that Lee Valley sells that Lee Nielsen doesn't, uh, or something that they make one that is generally known to be a slightly better version uh, of that same tool. And you can get it from Lee Valley and go ahead and get the rabbiting block plane from, from Lee Nielsen. Um, this you definitely won't I, be the last time you're on the <laughs> Lee Valley website. That's for sure. Now, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to even maybe just suggest and, and go in a completely different direction. Just, just get a regular block plane. You know, as, Shannon, as you pointed out, the whole thing with I, I would never use this for actually making a rabbit. It's maybe finessing a rabbit or something. That's about it. Yeah. But for actually making a rabbit, that, that definitely wouldn't happen with this. It just doesn't have enough heft and all that other good stuff that we could get into about the way that you would hold the plane. The, the way I see it, you know, just a good all-around block plane, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It, it does so much for Matt, everything that you would want to use a block plane for. You know what's wrong with it? It's it, it, That wasn't in my book. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're kind of screwing things up here for me. Oh, well, in that I case, have, it's in coming out in a couple, subsequent issue. <laughs> I'd say in the last couple of weeks, I've had this question, you know, what should be my first block plane? Yeah. And I have recommended the Lee Nielsen rabbiting block plane as the first block plane right. to like 20 different people. So if I said anything different, it would be... We would get some kickback. I guarantee you there. Yeah, well, yeah. I am still going with the regular black plane while you fancy pants go with your darn rabbity one. All right. Your darn rabbity darn one. Darn rabbity. All right. That sounds good. Uh, let's move on to our V-mail. Our V-mail? Yes, our I thought V-mail. we just had a V-mail. We're working on our V-mail. Uh, the first one here is from Josh. He says, I'm new to woodworking. As I listen to the shows, I seem it seems like finishing is always left to the final steps of a project. I'm building two twin-sized storage beds for my kids. Let's face reality, it's for the wife's sanity in our small home. It seems like pre-finishing some of the pieces of the bed frame uh, and base prior to the assembly will end up with a better-looking result. Many of the projects you discuss on the podcast sound like all the finishing is completed as the last step. I was going to tape off the hidden internal parts of the project that will only see glue and pre-finish the parts that will be hard to get to after assembly, uh, then do a bit of touch-up during the final finishing steps. Any tips about splitting pre-finishing and final finishing of project parts? Well, I think the reason we do talk about it being the last step is because in most cases it probably is. Um, pre-finishing is a fantastic way to go. It just is a question of whether the project can handle it. There, there are some projects that are just difficult or impossible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST to pre-finish without creating further problems for yourself. Um, let's look at like a, let's say a bookcase or something and you want to pre-finish your shelves. Those shelves have to fit into dados, but you've already cut your joinery. 
So if you layer on a bunch of finish, your your shelves may not necessarily fit into the dados that you cut previously. So there's definitely going to be concerns about, you know, depending on the project. But if you've really mapped it out and you know exactly what parts are going to be pre-finished, which ones aren't, and you're not going to get finish on your, your glue surfaces, go pre-finish as much as you can and as much as you want, because it really will truly make things a lot easier in the end when you don't have to get to those interior parts. Right. Yeah. Um, so as far as just general tips and stuff, it sounds like you've already read up on this. You know a little bit about it. That's really the key is just to make sure that you tape off, mask off the parts that would normally receive glue and try not to put finish on anything that is, uh, even if it's not essential to the glue joint, uh, just be careful what goes where, because you don't want to get finish on anything that might, uh, change the size or the fit uh, of one of your joints or adjoining pieces. But yeah, if you can do it. Yeah, I've always had a problem with uh, pre-finishing, and then I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot to run that through the thickness planer. Darn it. <laughs> oh, crap. There goes my finish. Right. <laughs> right into the dust collector. Um, quick question. Do do either of you – I know a lot of times finishing is the last thing you think about because you don't want to think about it any earlier than you absolutely have to. Um, do you try to make pre-finishing part of your regular strategy, or is it truly just like an afterthought? afterthought. For me, it's – yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think for most people it is, though. I don't think you guys are alone in that. Um, I, I mean, I could, I definitely can see the merits. I just don't think it's come up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't come up with the situation. Cabinets are, are a good place. Uh, I think we said this in an earlier show, like you could spray it, but the spray back or the, the overspray yeah. is so nasty inside a cabinet. But every time I've done something like that, it's been in a situation where, Eh, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's going to be dark in there or it's being painted inside yeah. the cabinet. So, right. yeah, it's just it's never come up in a in a piece that, well, let's put it bluntly, in a piece that I actually care what the finish looks like. Um, that I've needed to get that special. There you go. It, the only time I've ever wished I had done it was it was a, a kind of a large entertainment center type cabinet mm. and as i'm inside it looking like yoda ripping through luke skywalker's stuff my legs are just hanging out there i'm like damn it i should have <laughs> should have pre-finished speaking of star wars did you guys see i uh, posted on facebook a picture that someone sent me of the rocking horses um oh, what the heck are they called hold on All right I, I can't remember the name of it but if you go to go to my facebook page and uh there are some awesome kids rocking horses in a star wars theme that uh, fellow nerds and geeks will appreciate sweet. Are Ooh. they Tauntauns? Yes. Yes. Cause the, the dude goes, uh, <laughs> it goes, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. And I'm, <laughs> I don't know if you guys go it's totally off topic. Sorry about that. But, um, the family guy version, um, something, something dark side, I think it is, uh, right. where they have Peter and he's just like breathing for 20 minutes during that line, just to <laughs> make fun of Han Solo. Anyway, it's good stuff. Uh, go check it out. All right, well, you know what? Maybe we should head back into woodworking and go on to the next email. Do you think? Okay. All right, let's do that. This question came in from Dan, and Dan says, I've been using the scary sharp method for years now, and it has served me well, except that I've finally gotten tired of changing out the sandpaper all the time. So I'm looking to get some water stones. I just purchased a coarse dia sharp stone from DMT for stone flattening, and now I'm looking at the Oshishu 1000, 8000, because Oshishu Oshishu. are supposed or supposedly longer lasting than Norton's. How come I have a feeling I pronounced that incorrectly? It's uh, Ohishi? Sure. Okay. Sure. That's how it's spelled. Ohishi. Ohishi. It, can you go back and lay that over my track? <laughs> okay. Ohishi. How about that? 
No one will so, ever know. You need a truly robotic voice to make that work really well. Though. I'll just use the, the Mac um, uh, voice generator on my computer. There you go, yeah. There you go. All right. So uh, anyway, so the, those ones supposedly last are longer lasting than Norton's. But then I got to thinking, why not just get all diamond stones, which don't need to be flattened, and skip the whole water stone thing altogether? So my question is, do you guys know of any reason not to use only diamond stones for my entire sharpening process? I only hear about them being used for flattening of water stones or for major metal removal. I imagine there has to be a reason why everyone's using water or oil stones and not diamonds, right? Okay, so Dan, I think the main reason is for the longest time, diamond stones, and to some degree, I was just looking at the prices over at Amazon and a couple other locations, uh, the, the, the really decent-sized diamond stones, the, the, the nicer diamond stones, tended to be pretty pricey. But it looks like the prices are coming down or my perspective on what something costs is really skewed. Hmm. Uh, so I think that was a big thing for the longest time was they were rather expensive. And for me, the only other reason I don't like to use diamond stones, I only oh, have... Is she? Sorry. Oh, that's... <laughs> Um, I'll take two of those and a salmon roll. Um, uh, the only reason I, I, I am not a big fan of, of the, the diamond plates and the diamond stones is because of the fact that you have to take a, a little extra care on making sure that they don't rust. That's an issue mm-hmm. that I've run into. I don't know about you guys, but like with yep. my extra coarse one, I Absolutely. was stupid enough not to get the slurry off fast enough after a heavy removal once and then I spent some time removing all of that rust. So that's perhaps one of the biggest things. But other than that, uh, I really don't see any other reason not to. Now, I know a lot of people may be saying something as simple as, well, with the water stones, because of the fact that they the material gets removed really quickly, and by material, I mean the face of the stone. So there's always a nice, fresh, sharp face, or, or a nice face that you can get a nice, sharp edge from. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the big uh preferred benefit that you get from say the, the the water stones but other than that um a diamond stone you know it, it lasts forever diamonds are so, forever that's right well you can, the, maybe if you're if your wife's angry at you you can hand it to her and be like this is for you there's a whole plate yeah. of them baby <laughs> um didn't we get that uh we had that conversation a couple episodes back about uh the low grit diamond stone and uneven wearing and it not feeling like it cuts as well. And we were kind of debating whether or not that was just normal wear and tear. And now, now the stone is cutting the way it should, or if that was the manufacturing process or what. So I don't know, maybe these things are just kind of getting not as great of a reputation for really fine honing. Um, well, wasn't the one that we were talking about though? Wasn't that the, the, the really coarse one? I yes. thought that's, that was the yeah. big thing. Yeah. That's the yeah, one that he both bought. Matt and I have had the same we both have the same stone, so yeah, that's that's what he's saying. He purchased that initially for flattening purposes, but now he's considering going for the higher grits. Honestly, though, I can't see anything ultimately wrong with it. I mean, those things right. cut pretty well. It's going to be sharp. I, I would say try it. Right. Well, I know um, Mary May, the wood carver. She uses nothing but diamond stones. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, she's just doing carving gouges, um, but she does a lot of it. (laughs) So I think that, um, that's a pretty good endorsement for them. I think woodworking is nothing but stubborn and traditional. (laughs) So that's probably the number one reason why most people aren't doing this. The ultimate goal of woodworking is to become set in your ways. Right. Well, I thought the ultimate goal is to get the most expensive tools and then spend the rest of your time sitting on a porch whittling. There you go. (laughs) Well, you know, think about it. I think these, the diamond stones, they, they seem very, very cool, but I've got a pair of Shaptons, you know? So am I going to go out and buy some diamond stones now? No, because the ones I have right now work just fine. Plus they know? come so, in different colors. 
Yeah, there you go. Which is a bonus. Yeah, yeah the so diamond when those wear too. out, I probably will go. What in thirty years or so, when yes. I wear through those, I will probably go with diamond stones. When but you, at that point, it'll be some sort of like laser sharpening something. True. <laughs> yeah. You hold it into a stream, and it just automatically sharpens it for you. There you go. All right, Shannon, you're up. All right, I got a an email from Lewis who a few months ago bought some cherry lumber for a hall bench that he's planning to build. Along with the cherry, he purchased a couple of pieces of eight-quarter ash. A few days ago, he noticed little holes in the ash with fresh sawdust. First thing that comes to mind was the emerald ash borer. So is my ash done for? He had to be doing this on purpose. He had to do it. What can I do? Is there some chemical that I can use to kill the emerald ash borer and still be able to mill the lumber later on? By the way, I've also noticed the same holes in the cherry board that I bought to use for the top of the hall bench. So if you don't know, the emerald ash borer is a bug. It eats wood. It is similar to the powder post beetle that also eats wood. Um, There is a myth that both of these bugs do not like heartwood and they only go after sapwood. And that is complete BS because there's a lot of wood that has holes in the heartwood. Uh, What it comes down to is they like sapwood, obviously, because it's very sugary. It's very sweet. But once they run out of sapwood, if there is not a sugary sweet option, they'll go with what's left. So um, Lewis, first things first, and and I've already exchanged emails with Lewis because I wanted to make sure that he dealt with this quickly. Um, You need to take that lumber back to the lumber yard you bought it from. If it's a decent lumber yard, they will refund your money or give you more lumber. Mm. But more importantly, that lumber yard needs to know that they have an infestation. Um, the other thing that you need to do, Lewis, is check the rest of your lumber and be really, really anal about this. Lay it out, check it for, for holes, check it for that telltale fresh sawdust. Leave it there and come back a couple days later and check it again. You want to make sure you do not have an infestation in your own shop. Mm. Now, assuming that that's all good, you really need to let that lumber yard know um, because they're spreading lumber to other places. And it could be very, very minor. It could just be in that ash. And that's actually one of the reasons that the lumber yard I work for, we do not carry ash right now because it's, it's, um, it's an epidemic. The emerald ash borer is everywhere. The other thing when you're buying lumber, and this is kind of for everybody in general, you need to ask the lumber, the company you're buying from, do you offer heat treatment certificates? This is a certificate that says we have treated this wood to be free of bugs. You have to hold the lumber at 130 degrees for at least 24 hours, 130 or greater, and it has to stay there for 24 hours. Now, the fact of the matter is in most kiln drying schedules, that's just part of drying your wood. But as people try to push lumber through faster and faster and faster and they try to, you know, cheat the kiln schedule a little bit, this is where this stuff happens. So Mm. just saying that the lumber is kiln dried does not mean that it's gotten rid of that infestation. It has to be at 130 for 24 hours. Now, we personally at our yard, we get audited once a month. There's a little entomologist that comes out who works for the um, U.S. Forest Service. And he audits us and makes sure that we are bug-free. Is he really little? Um, he is. He's a little dude. I think he's like 5'2", actually. Nice. Well, Shannon, you're really tall, so everybody else is little to you. Yeah. This, is, this is true. Skewed perspective. But <laughs> most places will be going through this. If you're selling lumber, and because the ash borer has begotten to be such a big deal, uh, the U.S. Forest Service has really stepped this up. So um, just just make sure that local lumber yard knows it, and don't be afraid to say, hey, can I get some new wood? Um 
If they don't, then it's probably a lumber yard that you don't want to do business with anymore. Mm, yeah. Cool. So there you go. Well, the, so the main the- thing is that he needs to, Lewis needs to drag his ash back over there. And yes. talk to them. Can I say my joke? I mean, since we're going to, we should take turns. I knew you both had one. You, Come on. you had to know we both have one. So the moral to the story is nobody likes an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the title of the show. Especially a dusty one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the other part I liked was uh, when you were talking about how you need to be anal about the assholes. <clears throat> that was Cody and wasn't it? There you go. You know, I, I heard a theory that there was that whole uh myth about the fact that the uh, ash borers only go after the what the heartwood not the sapwood that was actually started by some ash borers who were trying to get people just to ignore them <laughs> i've got an idea let's spread this rumor okay uh, all right next one here is from robert he says i've just completed another project which means that i've got a learning opportunity um red i made some mistakes okay a lot as I'm reflecting on the situation, I was wondering if I should just do certain projects that contain one skill set, say cutting miters before I move on to something that requires router work or mortise and tenons. I like variety, but I don't need to make a variety of weird-looking firewood. Should I step Should I step my way through? Is this haphazard approach just going to cause frustration and no particular skills learned? All right, that, I think that's a common question. I think a lot of people get into woodworking and you have this uh, choice of, of how you proceed forward. Uh, The one thing I will say is, first of all, kudos for going right into projects. I think a lot of times people with too much information tend to focus so much on practicing skills and they'll sit there and cut, you know, a hundred dovetails in a week um, just to get that one little thing down. When ultimately the best thing you could have done is built a drawer that goes inside of something else and have a piece of furniture at the other end of that learning experience. Um, You know, you could always have time to practice little things as you go. So I think furniture building, actually making projects is probably a great way to start. It's definitely one that I recommend. Uh, You know, what projects you pick, that, that have certain things in them, that's that's really going to be up to you and the type of learner that you are. If you feel kind of vexed by the prospect of having so many different things to cover in one particular project, um, that may not be the way you should go. Maybe you should start with something that, you know, a mitered frame. Let's get those miters under control. Let's, uh, you know, do something that's a basic thing with one single drawer uh, so we can get our drawer uh, construction skills under our belt. Um, some people are better learning one thing at a time instead of multiple things, but there are also other people who will just dive in head first. And yeah, everything doesn't look perfect in the end, but they sure learned a lot on the way on the, uh, you know, the other end. And they have a piece of furniture that looks decent enough to, to give to, you know, a relative or something. Um, so honestly, it just kind of depends on the kind of learner you are for me personally. I'm the dive in kind of person. I really like to jump into things that I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. And it's a sink or swim thing for me. And I tend to get my best performance when I'm kind of lost in the beginning. Um, some people may not work that way. Um, for, for you guys, I'm curious if, if you find one perspective more uh, appealing as you're trying to learn. Matt, you go first so you don't talk on each other again. <laughs> Darn, I was going to tell Shannon to go first. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very much like you, Mark. I, I, there are, are quite a few projects that I just, I just need to just jump right into it. Yeah. And the funny thing is oftentimes those are the nicest looking ones because the problem – Later on, then, is when I go to a tackle it one more time, I will simply start overthinking everything that I did. I'm like, all right, well, this worked, so this must work. Oh, no, that doesn't work better. That actually looks worse. Right. So, it, you know, there's, that's one thing I was just thinking as you were reading that, that email. I should really break out the very first project I ever built. We have it hidden away 
in plain sight in the Vanduulus household. Nobody's ever made comments about it, but every time somebody walks past, I'm just like, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. <laughs> Maybe and they kind of talk it. about everything <laughs> I did with that project. Sure, sure. What about you, Shannon? Well, I think, Mark, you hit it on the head that everybody kind of learns a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what is good in this situation is, um, who was it, Robert? Robert, Robert yes. yeah. Robert has already made several projects, so it sounds like he probably has a bit of an idea where maybe some of these improvement points are. Um, I think probably, um, basically, I agree with you guys, but the the best way, I've long said the best way to learn how to, say, cut dovetails is to build a chest of drawers. Um, like a five drawer, seven drawer chest of drawers. Yeah, By the yeah. time you get done with like the second drawer, your dovetails will be golden. Um, and I think that's where the kind of abstract thing, you get this like dovetail a day thing that goes on. But the thing is cutting a two dovetail test board and cutting a drawer that has like five dovetails in it is very, very different. Fitting five dovetails and two dovetails is a le- different level of difficulty. And you know, if you build a chest of drawers, you can start with the back of the drawers on the bottom drawer. And those are kind of ratty. And by the time you get to the front dovetails on the bottom drawer, they're a little bit better. And by the time you get to the top, which is like right at eye level, your dovetails are, are perfect. So if he has an idea that, you know, he brought up miters, if he knows that miters are bad, then I would still recommend finding a project, but finding a project that heavily features miters. Yeah. Um, I think... I wrote a, a blog post on this a while ago. It's it's not so much that we don't really learn anything. It's just we learn, you know, you think about a typical project and maybe mortise and tendons you're not good at. Well, you cut like eight mortise and tendons in a table and then you do a bunch of other stuff, you know. And for most hobbyist woodworkers who we take multiple weeks to multiple months to build a piece of furniture, you know, okay, you felt good about mortise and tendons, but then three months go by before you cut them again. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where we, we start to fall down. So there is some merit to repetition of a joint over and over again. But I think if you do it in abstract, you start to lose, uh, you lose the learning um, because you're not necessarily fitting the joints together into a larger entity. And you're not really worrying about having to fix issues that go wrong with it either. Yeah, so the, the whole uh, consequence thing over your head, I think is a, is a good motivator a lot of right. times. Yeah, true. You know, that, that's one thing I was just thinking as you were, you, you mentioned that Shannon, like uh, it, when it comes down to it, it's the same thing as like book work versus practical work. You know, you, when you are doing like the dovetails a day, it, it's almost like a perfect scenario. Like you, you, you're just doing this one thing. Okay. This is really good. But when you are actually putting into practice, there are so many other things that can feed into how it's actually going to turn out and what you'll end up doing with it. So, yeah, it, it, I think it is important to come up with a project for the type of joinery that you want to practice and just go into it versus just sitting there doing the same thing over and over because it's, it's you're not going to get as much benefit from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, sir? I know. All right. Oh, yeah. You're up. Get so. out on the streets. Street smarts versus book smarts. <laughs> okay. It's all you, Matt. Um, oh, it is. Oh, yeah, it is me, isn't it? I'd love to sponsor this episode. (laughs) All right, well, this comes in from Joey, and Joey says, I have an old Craftsman 12-inch bandsaw that I just upgraded with a wood slicer blade from Highland Woodworking. My bandsaw now cuts great, but I'm really not sure how to set it up with a resale fence. Joey, I'm pretty sure that was a typo, and you meant resaw fence. (laughs) I like resale fence better. 
Well, actually, I have a sale, uh, a fence that's for sale on a band, so maybe it might fit his. Anyways, he says, because the fence rail doesn't match any current design and not readily adaptable, and the top is made from aluminum, so magnet fences won't work. Uh, the first thing, as soon as this email came in, I immediately thought, do you guys remember Glenn Huey had an article talking about his favorite woodworking jig, which is basically uh, a 90 degree, kind of a longer L bracket that he can put on all sorts of stuff. In fact, I'm going to put a link in the uh, show notes for this particular question. And I did something similar with my old bandsaw. I couldn't put a decent fence on it until I really sat down and, and played around quite a bit with it and was able to uh, put the Craig uh, bandsaw fence onto it. But what I originally did was I made something very similar to like what you'll see in this Glenn Huey article. It is just a shop-made fence, basically. It's just, just an L bracket, a nice long one. And as long as it's 90 degrees, you can clamp it into position on the table saw and use that as your fence. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. In fact, to be quite honest with you, that one worked really, really well. You can make it as tall or as short as you need it, and it's really easy to just clamp it in one position, pivot it around, and get it to the depth that you need, and you'll get really decent results for it. You don't have to worry about magnets or finding the right uh, aftermarket fence or any of that good stuff. So something to consider, Joey. Cool. That sounds good. There you go, Joey. Joey? Let's see here. I've got an email from Jay Greasy. Let's just let that sink in for a little bit there. Jay Greasy says, I've seen numerous videos about how to hand cut dovetails all around the internet, but one thing that vexes me is how to best plane, how to best plane of the protruding ingrain and even the baselines left by the marking gauge. When making a small box, you have to come in from each end to prevent spelching the ingrain. But due to the nature of wood, this means one direction will have you planning against the grain. I've induced tear out on more than one box while trying to plane the dovetail smooth. What is your technique for smoothing off a box with uh, through dovetails on all four corners? I think Matt just got excited when you said one direction. <laughs> I did. I was like, <laughs> oh boy. Wait, I'm channeling my daughter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. There is... Um, when it comes to the baselines, if you want to get rid of those baselines, some people leave them. Some people really, really hate that and want to take them off. That, uh, going back to the pre-finishing question, this is a pre-assembly thing. I would plane your boards and get rid of that baseline before you put together the joint, before you glue it up. Um, because that's where the heavy amount of planing needs to happen, and that's where you really need to worry about the grain direction on the face. And it sounds like that's where he's having problems. As he comes in from the end, he's working against the grain. So... Uh, if you remove those baselines before assembly, then you, all you have to do is we're flushing up the um, the ingrain, the actual protruding pens. Mm. Um, second of all, and and this was a woodworking in America many years ago. Frank Klaus did a dovetailing thing, and he was talking about you know some people will set their gauge so that the pins protrude a little bit. Some people will set the gauge so that the uh, tails protrude for as far as making it easier to plane it smooth. He said, I always set it so. That they're exactly equal, so I don't have to do any planing at all. And everyone kind of chuckled like, oh, yeah, that's funny. But there's some brilliance to that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously Frank Klaus has been cutting dovetails longer, you know, since before there was air. So he's really, really good at it. Um, but there, there is something to be said about that. Don't make that, that gauge mark so extreme so that you have a lot that you have to plane off. Um, set it pretty dang close. And then with the baselines already removed, I actually don't work so much 
in from one end and in from the other, but work across those pins. Um, and uh, that way, uh, I, I'm not I, I'm not res- necessarily running the risk of spelching all that much because I'm working right across the grain because ingrain doesn't really have a grain direction. Um, if you absolutely have to work off that end, a slight little chamfer on that that offside the side you're worried about spelching will help. In fact, if you chamfer it down to the level of the the tailboard, you should be okay. And then you plane away and really, really lighten up your cut. You're not trying to hog this off, which again, if you've set it so that you've got to remove a quarter of an inch, you know, it's going to take forever. But if you've only, if you're only like a 16th or a 32nd proud, a real, real light cut on the ingrain with a block plane, um, shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, and you can come in from the outboard side, um, and you don't really have to worry about that because the baseline's already gone. Does any of that make sense? I feel like I just talked in circles there. No, it, it does make sense. And, and you know, for me, I actually, I like having the pins proud because I think it's just a lot less work to trim those pins down than to plane an entire drawer side, especially if you've got a bunch sure. of drawers to do. Um, so I tend to favor that <clears throat> direction, but when you're talking about the, the, the brilliance of the, the other option is to, to plane that drawer side. Uh, well, no, we were talking about Frank Klaus with something else before I right. getting all That's confused. The brilliant part. What I said wasn't the brilliant part. No, no, no. Me either. Clearly. Um, the other thing that you could consider is if you're leaving those drawer sides proud, there are a couple advantages. Now I, I don't do it this way, but I see the advantages to it. Number one, if you leave your, uh, essentially you're intentionally making your pins a little bit under the surface, they're recessed instead of proud. And the reason you might do this is first of all, if you cut your front and back, uh, think about your sizing this to a very, a very small compartment and you want to make sure it's perfect. It's a huge advantage to be able to cut that front and back drawer piece to the exact length you need so that once you flush the side to the pins, you know that your drawer fits perfectly. Uh, you do have some issues, mm. for instance, with the method that you mentioned, Shannon, if you try to plane that line away and after you uh, cut your pins and tails, you do some work on the drawer side, you effectively are shrinking the width of your drawer, possibly making it a little bit too loose for your right. drawer opening. So there's a big advantage to having your pin boards match the exact length of that opening, or I should say the width of that opening. So if you can flush those sides down to the pins and you never truly maybe just kiss the end grain a little bit as you get it all the way down, a huge advantage there. The other advantage is in clamping. If that side is sitting proud and your pins are recessed, you could throw oh, yeah. a clamp right on the Much side easier. and it's so easy to clamp. You don't need any calls. You don't need to worry about pins protruding and getting in the way. So two huge advantages, but the disadvantage is you've got a heck of a lot more planing to do on those sides to get them flush. Right. The only other thing I'll say, and you see this a lot in the magazines, if you're worried about spelching the ingrain, just clamp a board to back it up. Mm. Clamp a scrap board to it and, and just back up that grain. Back it up. Uh, and then you can just plane right across it. And that makes it real, 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 real easy. Real, real. All right, cool. You know, it's funny. Uh, just one last thing I was thinking, that whole comment about getting ready your baseline marks. I, there was a, a while there when that was supposed to be like the sign of a true craftsman, mm-hmm. that you did them by hand. So hey, everybody. Talking, right, well, I did this the, by hand. Yeah, you remember the the router one? They're like, just take a, uh, um, you know, a marking gauge and, and just mark it and tell people you did them by hand. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people like that's a totally a woodworker thing. I think anyone who's not a woodworker, and I know it does frustrate woodworkers too, but if you're not a woodworker, you're going to look at that and go, what is that? What is that scratch? Why is that there? 
or I especially like my family, think if they... he's making if he's making like a small decorative box. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anytime you shrink the size of the project down, those little things become huge. Yeah, eyesores for sure. Wait. Okay, let's move into our iTunes reviews. Uh, you know, you can go to iTunes. You could look us up in the iTunes store, and uh, we're Wood Talk there. We're Wood Talk everywhere, pretty much. And uh, just click ratings and reviews, and you can ask Matt why it is that he forces his wife to shovel the snow out of the driveway. Seriously. Because when we got married, there was a contract, and there were certain things that I put in small print. Very smart. I like that. Thank you. Wow. And uh, we'd like to thank Jerem97. Who had this to say, best woodworking podcast around, better than the sum of its parts. This group would make any woodworker at any level. I don't know. Is that a compliment or an insult? I'm not sure. (laughs) That's awesome. If you have to ask. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Uh, The group would make any woodworker at any level feel at home. The balance is perfect. Casual, relatable, snarky, nerdy guys that share good-natured ribbing and some woodworking thrown in. Informative without being textbook, like a Friday night meetup with great friends every week naked. I added the naked part. Uh, I was going to say, I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> he said, love the single topic shows too. We do too. By the way, the next show coming up, cause I'm going to be out of town next week. We've got a single topic show in the bank here that I got to edit down this week. And it's, it's going to be awesome. all about is wood talk better while Mark is gone. <laughs> yes, that's true. That would be a great show. It's uh, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be controversial and fun. And what I can't remember what it was, but I remember it's going to be cool. I was just trying to think what it was. I don't <laughs> I was remember. Like, I remember mm. after recording it going, yeah, this is going to be good. Now, I, it couldn't have been that good because I don't remember what the heck it was about. Is this the one where we didn't email each other for like almost an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Um, and just a quick reminder here that today's show is sponsored by us. So if you can, go uh, go get one of those Wood Talk t-shirts at uh, TWWstore.com. High quality t-shirts. They're not real expensive and they look really, really cool. And, and they'll look good on you. True that. And we'd also like to thank our recurring donors and folks who, who send us a few bucks here and there to help keep this ship afloat. Uh, I'd like to thank David. He's European and it seems like a variation of the, the name David. But David, David, B., and uh, we really appreciate your help and everyone else who uh, who throws a few bucks our way. Go to woodtalkshow.com. Look on the left-hand side. You're going to see some links there for small recurring donations and one-time donations if you want to help us out that way. And, and after yeah. that uh, attempt at a pronunciation, he will now be asking for a refund. That's right. Sorry about and, that. And next time you go and buy a tool from a retailer, whether it's online in person, ask them, why aren't you sponsoring Wood Talk Online? What's and wrong with you? They'll say, who? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and then what is that? Um, After the awkward pause, tell exactly. them, go to woodtalkshow.com. All right, Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion? Or, or would you like to add something else to the ash borer comment, maybe some sort of ash joke? We'd love to hear it. There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment over at Wood Talk Facebook page. We have one of those also. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, get off your ash and you'll find them over at woodtalkshow.com. All well right. Done, Matt. Well done. Very well Thank done. You. Yes. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And just uh, make sure you always go out in the shop and check for ash holes. Yes. Absolutely. And if you, all you find is a picture of yourself, then you got a problem. What's this mirror? That's not a mirror. <laughs> That's just one big ash hole. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, this is going to generate some emails. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. I'm sorry. Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. 
Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.